Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. It's Christmas, which, uh, speaking for myself, it's my favorite time of the year. I love uh, seeing all the lights on the houses. I love the Christmas trees. I love all the traditions surrounding Christmas. Uh, I love the music on the radio. It's so great to to hear all those classics, but also uh, to hear all the carols as well. Those carols that tell of that incredible story of God coming to us. The carols that tell us about God stepping out of heaven and into earth to bring us Jesus Christ and with him the hope of our salvation. That's what we're talking about in in this uh, sermon series. Are those carols that tell of that great story. Last week we talked about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and how it echoed the words of Isaiah. It echoed those words of hope to the people of Israel during those dark times. We're going to continue that, uh, continue that theme of hope in the darkness with our, uh, our next song, which is O Holy Night. O Holy Night, it teaches us the wonderful contrast that Christ brought into the world. During Advent, we often talk about the light and the darkness, the hope and the despair. O Holy Night, it teaches us uh, of that thrill of hope into this weary world. This carol, it was first written in the mid-1800s in France when a priest wanted a poem to be ready for, uh, for Christmas Eve. And so he hired a poet to, to, go, uh, to write a song about, uh, about Christmas. And so the poet took Luke 2 and wrote the poem and then handed it back to the priest, and the priest loved it. He loved it so much that he went to a friend and had him put a tune to it. And then that Christmas Eve, it was played in the church, and it instantly became a classic. A couple decades later, in 1906, a Canadian inventor on Christmas Eve took his violin and played O Holy Night over the radio, which made it the first song to be played over the radio, uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Today, it's still one of the most popular songs, uh, Christmas songs. It's been uh, played by the likes of Bing Crosby to Mariah Carey, and really any artist uh, who's ever made a Christmas album, which I think is all of them um, at some point. Uh, But it's a staple of Christmas. So uh, before we go any further, let's uh, just take a little bit of time uh, and and sing that first first stanza. So uh, will you all sing with us? The stars are brightly shining, it is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and terror pining, till he
beautiful song. It almost makes you want to just go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> it's such a peaceful song, isn't it? Uh, when, oftentimes when we think about that holy night, that nativity scene, it, it's a rather peaceful scene. If you go outside and you see the nativity scene out there, or if you look in the sanctuary and you see the nativity at the front, it's a peaceful scene. You've got little baby Jesus in that perfect little cutout in the, in the manger. You've got Mary, who just looks absolutely perfect for just giving birth. And you've got jo- uh, Joseph on the other side, uh, kneeling down praying. And you've got all the animals around him just looking perfect. Not at all disturbed by this family who came into their, into their stable. Even though the songs that we sing about the nativity and the nativities that we, we display, they, they look so peaceful, I think, I think it's safe to say that we all know that that probably wasn't the case. You have Mary, who was a teenager and pregnant, and on top of that, she was pregnant by someone other than her husband, which meant that the months leading up to that birth, she had to face quite a lot of questions. And uh, I, I'm almost positive that Not too many people really believed her when she said that the the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. To make matters worse, Mary and Joseph, they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles. So if you can imagine being nine months pregnant and having to walk 90 miles, uh, that's the equivalent of walking from Royal Redeemer to Toledo uh, on foot nine months pregnant. And then when they got there, they didn't have friends or families to, uh, to help them. They didn't have a place to stay, so they had to go find a place to stay. And when they got there, there was no place to stay, which meant that they had to stay in a stable. Not so peaceful. In that stable, they gave birth, and it wasn't, ster- sta- it wasn't sterile. And again, they didn't have friends or families to help them out in this situation. So you can imagine, you can imagine that it wasn't all that peaceful. No, no matter what came from that, uh, from that event, no matter how uh, tiring, no matter how stressful, it brought peace into the world. And it's for that reason that we remember this holy night as peaceful. There's a phrase in that, in that carol, that says, uh, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. What a contrast. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. That word, weary, I, I think it's a, it's a good word to describe uh, the world that we live in. As George was talking about the news, uh, all those things that were happening, that's just a little sliver of what's going on. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy what's going on in our world. And at times we may think, has it always been this way? And I can safely say yes. Yes, it has. Our world has always been weary. It has always needed a thrill of hope to come and give it peace. That's why Christmas happened. That's why Christ came. Last week we talked about Isaiah 
and how he came to the Israelites in the time when they were facing some darkness. When much of the nation had turned away and started looking a lot like the, the godless nations surrounding them, when their leaders had turned away from God and had started uh, looking for their source of strength and protection from other gods and other nations, God sent Isaiah to these people, to the people of God, to remind them who their God was and who they were. He also came to warn them of the coming destruction if they continued on this path. Towards the end of Isaiah's life, it came. In 586 BC, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and destroyed it. They destroyed the temple and they took all the people out of the city in chains. We're told that uh, during that time, Isaiah was killed. After Isaiah, God rose up another prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is probably the most depressing prophet out there. And uh, he's got a name that, that matches that depression. It's, he's called the Weeping Prophet. If you read the book of Jeremiah or Lamentations, which are the two books that he wrote, you just see the sorrow and the pain that he's witnessing. Jeremiah was sent to the people of God who are now captive, who are slaves to the Babylonians just like they were slaves to the Egyptians. They had seen their promised land taken from them. They had been taken from the land that God had, had said that would always be theirs. You can imagine that the people were wondering what happened. Where was Yahweh? Where was their God? He said that he would always be there with them. Why did he not protect them? You can imagine the despair that they were feeling. Jeremiah, in, in the book of Lamentations, uh, in that third chapter, he echoes that, uh, that despair, that, that affliction. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, I will remember them, and my soul is downcast with me. Much of what Jeremiah writes echoes these words, echoes these sentiments. The pain, the sorrow, the suffering of being held captive once more. But even in this dark situation, even in this weary situation, Jeremiah has hope. And the next uh, couple verses he writes, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In these dark times, Jeremiah is able to claim the hope of God. He is able to echo those words of, O holy night, saying that we have the hope of a new and glorious morn. Just as Isaiah foretold of the coming Messiah, Jeremiah foretells of that Messiah as well. And he brings that hope, that hope of peace, that hope of salvation to the people. That hope of a new and glorious morn. When things seem dark and hopeless, we can experience a new and glorious day of hope with Jesus. That is the promise that we have from our God. That is the promise that we have received from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from the apostles, and from Jesus himself. That through him we are going to receive that new and glorious morn. We can receive this because, well, we have a God who is faithful in his love. 
as Israel sat in their, in their slavery, as they were serving these masters, these godless masters, they were able to have hope. Because even though they had lost their promised land, even though uh, it, it seemed as if God himself had turned their back on them, he, they knew better. Jeremiah knew better. He knew that when God made a promise, he would not break it. Jeremiah, he remembers that God's love, God loves him that God is faithful to him, that God will always be there for him, that he cares about, them, about him. And most of all, God will always do what he says he's going to do. And from the very beginning, God said that he was going to send his people a Messiah, that he was going to take them from this weary world and bring them into everlasting hope, peace, and life. This is the promise that God has given to his people. This is the promise that God has given to us. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of that promise. When Christ entered our world, he started, that, he started the fulfillment of that promise. And when he died on the cross, he brought it to fruition. He won victory over sin, death, and the, war, and the devil. He defeated this weary world, and he has given us that victory. By doing so, God has taken care of our eternal needs. It is because of Christ, it is because of that little child who was born that day in Bethlehem, that we have the hope of eternal life. That even though we may sit in, we may sit in darkness like the Israelites, that we may suffer, we may weep, we may wonder, will this weary world ever stop? We do not despair because we have the hope of a Messiah. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. Because God has sent us his son, because he has given us uh, our eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, we have, the hope. we have the hope of eternal life. And for that reason, we can trust that God will provide exactly what we need. Jesus Christ is the proof that God loves you. He rose from the dead. And by doing so, he fulfilled the exact words that he promised to you, that you would be with him in paradise. This is what Christ has given to you. This is how much God loves you, that he has taken care of your eternal needs. And for that reason, we can, uh, we can know that God is going to take care of our temporal needs as well. If he loves you so much to take care of your eternal needs... He's going to take care of you in the day-to-day -day as well. And so we can say, along with Jeremiah, saying, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. We need to be reminded of who our God is. These words of Isaiah, I say to myself, it's, they're important. Because sometimes as we sit in this dark and weary world, we need to be reminded, our, uh, be reminded of the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of our God, of the forgiveness that he has given to us and the, promise that he, and the promises that he has given to us. Our God loves us so much that he doesn't just want us to live 70, 80, 90 years of a joyful, comfortable, happy life. He wants us to be with him in eternal joy, peace, and comfort. This is what our God has given to us. 
He is going to take care of us. He is going to take care of us today, and He is going to take care of us tomorrow. God knows what we need, and He will supply them. We need to be reminded of this, and that's one of the reasons why we come on a regular basis to gather, so that we are reminded of who our God is and the promises that He has given to us. So that we are reminded that we can remind each other that we have hope, that this weary world is not all that we have, but we have the thrill of hope that comes from Christ. And we can trust our God, our God for that hope to keep on going. As humans, we can go a long time without food. We can go about 40 days without food. We can go about eight days without water and about that much without sleep. But we can't go that far without hope. The moment that we despair is the moment that we die. God has not left us in the dark. He has not left us to despair, just as he did not leave the Israelites to despair. Jeremiah told the Israelites, he prophesied that they were to wait. They were to wait for God. Seventy years they were going to be in slavery, but God will restore them. He will rescue them. He will grant them freedom. One of the most uh, beloved passages of Scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11. There are words of comfort that Jeremiah spoke to the people in this dark time, in this weary world. He said, for God knows the plans he has for you, plans to benefit you and not to harm you. God has given us hope. Those plans of God for the Israelites are the same plans that God has given to us as well. No matter what happens in our life, no matter how much we suffer, no matter how comfortable it is, God is there with us. And on the last day, he will rise us, uh, raise us from the dead so that we live with him in eternal peace, eternal life in paradise. This is the hope that we have in God, and it is because of Jesus Christ that we have this hope. And for that reason, we can say, along with uh, Jeremiah, even in the darkness, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. God is with us, and therefore we have hope in him. We do not have just, like I've been saying, it's, our hope is not just founded in the day-to-day it is found in our eternal salvation. And we can trust God for that salvation. The Israelites, they waited 70 years to be liberated. Billions of Christians before us have, had to wait, have been waiting for thousands of years for Christ to come. I do not know how long we're going to have to wait. It may be one day, it may be uh, one year, it may be 100 years, it may be uh, several thousand years. But no matter what, we can wait and we can wait with hope and confidence. Because God does what he, does, what he promises. For that reason, we can say along with Jeremiah, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so we wait. We wait for the coming of the Messiah. We wait for Christ to complete the work that he started that day in Bethlehem on Christmas. When we will rise again from the dead, when we will live with him in peace and paradise forever. We look forward to that hope. But as we look forward to, we wait. And we wait, and in our, in our waiting, we live that hope. We live that hope out in our lives. 
Much of what Paul writes encourages Christians to live this hope, to live as the light of Christ. What we witnessed here uh, at, at the baptismal font was the, rest of, the renewal of birth, the, the giving of God's uh, eternal life. Each and every one of us, we have that through our faith in Christ. On the last day, though, Christ is going to complete that work. He's going to strip death, sin, and all corruption from our lives and restore us into the perfect people that he made us to be. And so in our baptism, in our faith life, we reflect that life that we received in our baptism and that we will, uh, that we will be restored to in our new creation. Paul writes about this and encourages us in this uh, in Romans 13. He says, and do this, Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You and I are the people of God. We sit and wait in this weary world, but we do so with hope knowing that Christ will come again, that he will restore us to the perf- perfection that he made us to be. And so as, uh, during this time of Advent, we wait expectantly for the coming of Christ. I encourage you to take these next two and a half weeks, uh, that's all that's left of Advent, uh, in, time of, in a time of reflection, in time of uh, self-examination. Prepare our hearts for the coming of God. You can do this uh, simply by waking up uh, in just the first five mo- minutes of the morning uh, in prayer, in confession, and in God's word. You can do that by coming to worship on, on Wednesday nights here at Royal Redeemer. Uh, you can do this a whole host of ways. But I encourage you to, uh, to spend just a little extra time uh, in reflection and in confession. And as we wait for Christ, let us live out that expectant hope of the coming of Christ. And always remember that no matter how dark it gets, we have the great salvation. We have Jesus Christ. It is because of him that we have the thrill of hope. So may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds until Christ comes again. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us your Son, that by him, We have seen the fulfillment of all your promises that you have given to us from the very beginning. Lord, as we wait for the the completion of those promises, just uh, keep our eyes focused on you. Keep that hope alive in our hearts and use use your church, Lord, to share that hope uh, with everyone around us. All these things we pray in your name. Amen.